And welcome Sister Marvin as she comes and Brother Marvin. Praise the Lord and thank you for being here tonight. We thank the Lord for his faithfulness. This 2020 clear vision, we didn't expect to see the things we've experienced the last few months, but it hasn't caught God by surprise. And God is still on the throne and still doing a work as we surrender our lives and our hearts to him. And this is a different kind of life. When we hit the pause button, we've had a lot of time to think and meditate about the goodness of the Lord and what God has done in, his, in our lives and what he's doing. But he's also got a future for us. I would like to uh, read one scripture out of Isaiah 44, verse 3. For I will pour out waters upon him that is thirsty and floods upon the dry ground. I will pour out my spirit upon the seed and my blessing upon thy offspring. I'm going to pray for my wife now as she brings forth what God has laid upon her heart. Dear Lord Jesus, I ask you to bless Louise as she brings forth, God, what you've showed her and what you are challenging the church of the 2020, the palace of praise. God, we know that you're on the throne and you've got everything under control. And we praise you and we thank you. And we pray this in Jesus, our Savior. Amen. 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 Thank you. I appreciate it. What do we mean when we use the term revival? Do we have in our minds the special meetings like we have when our brother Andre or our brother Jonathan come for a couple of meetings and we get excited believing that the man of God will bring with him some special encouragement and we'll have a move of God and we're, we're hoping for miracles and we're hoping for healings and we're hope that the meetings will bring us back to a time of rededication to our Lord. I love these kinds of special meetings, and I know you do too. But the kind of revival I want to talk about tonight is different than that kind of revival. In its scope, in its duration, and in, in its national influence. One thing I'm very grateful for is that we have a church body that takes seriously the need to pray passionately for revival and for one another, for our needs. We are very blessed, and revival is taking place among us, and I'm grateful for that. Are you grateful for that? Can you sense that God is moving? And uh, I thank God for all of you who come on Wednesday night and you give your time and your energy to come and pray. And I know that you're praying at home and there are prayer groups going on in this church on days that you wouldn't even know it if you weren't here. People are praying in the palace of praise and that is something to be grateful for. But I'm afraid that passionate prayer may be a rare commodity in the church in the other churches, in the churches of the nation. I hope that's not so, but I'm afraid it might be in some churches a rare commodity. We are blessed to be a part of what God is doing in these days, and so I want to commend you for that. Nevertheless, I want to talk about the kind of revival that changes nations. 
that changes the atmosphere of a whole society, a whole nation, the kind of revival that results in the church, the national church, the churches, the church of the living God becoming the church that God is looking for, a church without spot and without wrinkle, a church full of holiness, a church that is separate from the world. I want to talk about the kind of revival that causes the churches of the whole nation, not just the city, not just a region, but the whole nation to deeply repent of their sin and become full of the joy of the Lord and the love of the Lord and be full of energy and excitement. It's a kind of revival that is initiated by our loving, sovereign God in answer to the passionate prayers of his people. It's the result, it results in the saints not coming I'm sorry, it results in the saints coming back to their first love, but it also results in a new obedience to the Word of God and a fresh determination to make Jesus Lord in every area of life. Because you see, revival is not for the unsaved. You can't be revived if you're dead in your sins. There's nothing to revive. But the inevitable result of the church being revived is a great harvest of souls. That's what we're looking for, right? In a national revival, millions of believers are truly revived and millions of those who are lost find Jesus as Savior and make him Lord. The atmosphere of the whole society is changed as God's Spirit breathes across the land. This is the revival I'm looking for. We don't know much about this kind of revival because we haven't had a revival like this in a long time. One of the common characteristics of revivals that change nations is that they happen when a society has fallen into great moral corruption. This has been the pattern. Would you say that we are at an extremely low point mor morally now in our America? Does not hate and division characterize us, God help us? Do we not have thousands trying to escape reality by numbing themselves with drugs, destroying not only their lives, but the lives of their loved ones? Is it not a disgrace in America, the richest nation on the face of the earth, not only now, but in all of world history, when thousands are homeless and living on the streets? Do we not see political corruption everywhere we turn, even in some of the highest positions of power? Have not homosexuals been pushing their agendas down our throats for years? Have we not become a nation where tens of millions of babies have been aborted and where recently the churches were shut down, but the abortion clinics were considered a necessary service? God help us. Who would have ever thought that our nation would be so sick that our children would be confused about their sexual identity? Who would have thought that in America, parents couldn't trust that their children could play safely in their own front yards? That in America, teen girls and boys could be snatched off the streets and turned into sex slaves, sold to the highest bidder? This nation birthed as a place of freedom and protected rights unknown in any other place in history, in the history of the world. This nation, a nation of laws based on principles found in the Word of God, 
This nation who has fought for others' freedoms and sent missionaries, Christian missionaries, around the world. But oh, how sad it is how far we have fallen. So tonight, I want to talk about the only solution to the problems of America. That is Jesus and the revival of the American church. I'm going to start by talking about the great awakenings that America has had in the past. The first great awakening in America began in Northampton, Massachusetts in 1734. It was a time of extreme moral decline in the colonies. Notice the date, more than 40 years before our Declaration of Independence. Jonathan Edwards began preaching that people needed an immediate, personal, spiritual rebirth. In his church in Massachusetts, a revival broke out among the young people, and it spread to the adults. 300 people were added to the church, and then the revival began to spread to the rest of the colonies in New England. Another great preacher, George Whitfield, came from England and began to preach across the colonies. Between 1740 and 1742, 25 to 50,000 people were added to the New England church, and then the revival began to spread to the middle colonies and in the south. As a result of this first great awakening, the society was changed. The word of God was again respected and obeyed. Evangelism was increased and missionaries were sent out to the American Indians. It marked the first movement of importance against that awful institution of slavery. A number of colleges were founded like Princeton and Brown and Dartmouth and Rutgers. Many historians credit the first great awakening in helping set in motion a democratic spirit that brought America its political freedoms. Indeed, you can't read the Declaration of Independence or our Constitution without noting the biblical spiritual principles incorporated within it. But by the year 1800, America was again in a spiritual decline. Nearly a million people had moved west, settled in places like Virginia and Kentucky and Tennessee, and some had moved to the northwest and others into Indian territory. And here people often had no access to churches. Moral conditions were again in a decline. And this is when God sent a second great awakening to America. Historians tell us that denominations joined together, Methodists and Presbyterians and Baptists, they joined to bring the word of God and the message of salvation to the newly populated territory in America. People began to uh, attend what they called camp meetings where they would get in their wagons and drive for sometimes a hundred miles and camp for several days in order to hear the Word of God from a preacher. In Cambridge, Kentucky in 1801, some 10 to 20,000 people attended one meeting. More than 10,000 people joined the church in Kentucky between 1800 and 1803. The move that began in Kentucky soon spread to Tennessee and southern Ohio. Methodists organized circuit-riding preachers who traveled from church to church in the rural areas preaching the word of God. Sunday school was promoted as a way to teach children. The Second Great Awakening not only 
awaken people to their need for that personal salvation by trusting in the blood of Jesus and ushered hundreds of thousands, hundreds of thousands into the kingdom of God. It also had a great impact on the secular society as Christians were encouraged to become involved in social justice reform, such as prison reform and temperance and women's suffrage and the crusade to abolish slavery. This was the time when Charles Finney preached to 50,000 people in Boston. A hallmark of Finney's preaching came when he demanded an answer to this question, what will you do with Jesus Christ? Then in 1857, we had what is called the Third Great Awakening. Sometimes this revival is called the Prayer Revival or the Businessman's Revival. Many people in this, many believe this revival to be the greatest of the American revivals. As is often in the case with revival movements, this one was begun by one person, though I suspect that there were others quietly praying behind the scenes. I found by studying revival that revivals come when the people of God pray. A quiet businessman, his name was Jeremiah Lampfer, he resigned as a businessman actually because he was asked to be the city missionary for the North Church of the Dutch Reformed denomination in what is now Lower Manhattan, New York City. You see, the North Church was experiencing a decline in attendance and membership because many of its members having been blessed financially in a time of financial prosperity, were moving to the suburbs. I don't think they called it that then, but that's what they were doing. Jeremiah's job was to visit the immediate neighbors around the church and encourage them to come to church. But something else began to eat away at Jeremiah. He saw the spiritual indifference of his fellow businessmen. And so after much prayer and seeking the Lord, he decided that he would start a weekly prayer meeting every Wednesday from 12 to 1 p.m. This, he felt, would give the owners and workers in local businesses a chance to stop and call upon God. So he had some handbills printed in way of invitation, and he waited at his church on September 23rd, 1857 at 12 o'clock waiting for people to come to prayer. And he waited, and no one came, and he waited. And finally, at 12.30, he heard a few footsteps coming to the church, and he was finally joined by six men that first week who came to pray. A few weeks later, there were 40 men coming to pray. And it was decided that they needed the prayer meeting more than just once a week. They needed every day. It's interesting that the prayer meeting started just a few weeks before 10 years of prosperity in America came to an abrupt halt as the stock market collapsed, leaving many without jobs, a situation that we know pretty well in today's society. Um, people with their financial resources gone, some of them turned to God, and that caused the prayer meetings to grow even more, thank the Lord. By March 1858, there were 10,000 men attending daily prayer meetings. And there, the church, of course, couldn't hold them all. So other businesses were opening up their doors. In, in, in bank, bank director rooms, they were having prayer meetings. Uh, in other churches, in a theater, they were having prayer meetings during the noon hour in New York. So revival began to break out in New York City and in New Jersey. The influence of this awakening that happened 
was felt everywhere in our nation, from the greatest cities to the smallest towns. All the people in America were affected. It was reported that everywhere one went, over this nation, the subject of the revival was in every conversation. In St. Louis, there were three prayer meetings a day. In Washington, D.C., they had to have five meetings a day to take care of the great demand. God's spirit was moving across the land. It's estimated that during the year of 1857-1858, one million people were converted in the nation. One million people. And at that time, that represented 3% of the entire population of the United States. 3% of all the people were converted. Thank the Lord. The revival spread around the world to Great Britain and Wales and Ireland and Scotland, England and India and Sweden. It influenced many young people who would later spark revival among Civil War troops, both those who fought for the North and those who fought for the South. Some historians believe that it was this revival of 1857-1858 that occurred just before the Civil War that made it possible for the reunification of the Union after the devastating effects of a civil war that pitted brother against brother. It's my hope that by sharing these stories of the great awakenings in America, it will encourage us to continue to pray and to believe for a great move of God in our day. Where is the move of God that manifests itself in thousands, thousands upon thousands of people coming to salvation from every part of the country? I've been asking God that, and I believe he gave me two words, and the words are satisfied and indifferent. Is it because many Christians are satisfied? Are many of God's people happy to eat at God's table, spread with all kinds of blessings, and stop their ears to the cries of those outside who are dying in their sins. I'm afraid that many of God's people, and I'm not talking about this church, I'm talking about God's people, are indifferent to the command of the word of God to go and to make disciples. There's a scripture that uh, I found in Psalms 119-136. may seem an odd scripture to you when we talk about revival, but somehow God has placed this in my heart and it kind of haunts me. And it says, rivers of water run down from my eyes because men do not obey your law. It haunts me because I wonder how many Christians are genuinely grieved when they see the lost going without the knowledge of the Lord and his plan of salvation. I wonder how many of God's people are indifferent as they make the wrong decisions, often digging pits for themselves because they're doing what sinners do. How many are snug and satisfied in their own salvation and yet indifferent to the millions out there who have no hope and no joy? I'm afraid that many Christians are indifferent to the billions out there that are headed to a devil's hell unless they come to the knowledge of Jesus Christ. And I think about how many families are destroyed because parents have no knowledge of the Lord and they don't know the Lord's ways and they don't know the Lord's great love for them. I think of parents who want to be good parents 
but they don't know how. And they don't know about the blood of Jesus. And, and, and they, are, they are living in ways that bring heartache and sorrow instead of living under God's blessings. I think about how many Christians lack compassion for the little girl out there who cuts herself and threatens suicide because of the abandonment of her parents and the feeling that no one loves her. Who's going to tell her that Jesus loves her? That he has a plan for her life? And what about the young man who's always in trouble because his dad has beaten him and cast him aside? Anger and violence is all he understands because that's what he has learned. Jesus looked over Jerusalem and he said he saw people who were like sheep without a shepherd. I'm afraid that many Christians don't understand how the enemy has so many people on a puppet string and he's lying to them and he's stealing from them and he's destroying them because they don't know. Can we have a move of God that will transform this broken society? I believe we can. Do you believe we can have that kind of a move? When I read the Bible, I see that many times when the nation of Israel was being overrun by their enemies, and that was usually when they were in spiritual decline big time, and they were, God allowed their enemies to run over them. Then when they repented and they called on the Lord, he heard their cries, and God stepped in with all of his mighty power, and he brought deliverance. I believe that God can do it again. Amen? Thankfully, we in America have experienced some regional revivals. I mean, we had the revival in Brownsville in uh, Florida in the mid-90s. And before that, there was a revival in the late 60s among the Jesus people. And there have been others. We've had revivals, but we've not had a national revival in a very long time. I read about a revival that happened in the Hebrides Islands in 1949, and it inspired me. So I wanted to tell you about this revival. Now, I didn't even know where the Hebrides Islands were located until I looked it up, and I found that they're 40 miles off the coast of Scotland. One thing I've learned when studying about revivals is that they are often started as a result of just a few Christians that God moves upon to pray for revival. On the island of Lewis in the Hebrides, God gave two elderly sisters, both of them in their 80s. One of them was blind and the other was crippled with arthritis. But God gave them a burden to pray for the people of their island. And so these two began to intercede with passion for people to get saved, for revival to come. They were gripped with the verse that Bill read at the beginning, Isaiah 44.3, that says, I will pour water on him who is thirsty and floods upon the dry ground. One night, one of these sisters had a vision. She saw the church crowded with, excuse me, I need to get a Kleenex. Sorry about that. I'm a, I'm a crybaby sometimes. Um, Let's see, where was I? God gave a vision, okay. Uh, she saw her, her church, and it was crowded with young people. At this time, in that church, there was not one single young person, not one. 
But she saw a vision, and the church was full of young people. So the two sisters, who were godly people, of course, and the pastor knew this, so they sent for the parish minister, and he came because he knew these two women had a special relationship with God. And so they shared the vision with the pa this parish priest, and that he said to them, well, what shall I do? Do, said the sisters, oh, well, you should pray. And so the minister gathered his elders together, and they prayed in a barn on Tuesdays and Fridays while the sisters prayed in their humble cottage. At the elders' prayer meeting in the barn one night, a young man stood up and he read from Psalm 24, Who shall ascend the hill of God? Who shall stand in his holy place? He that has clean hands and a pure heart. Then the young man said, you know, it seems like so much humbug to be praying like we're praying and waiting like we're waiting if we ourselves are not rightly related to God. This began in that elders' prayer meeting, a time of soul-searching and deep repentance. After the Spirit of God began to move over the island, after that, after that prayer, after they repented, the Spirit of God began to move over the island. An awareness of God gripped the community. The next day, work was halted on the island because men and women had their eyes turned on things eternal. Again, one of the sisters had a vision, and this time she saw a strange man in the pulpit of her church. And so once again, the lady sent for the minister, and he came. And uh, so they looked for the man, the right man to come, and it turns out that a man whose name was Duncan Campbell came to the island to preach. Now, Mr. Campbell didn't get to the island until about 9 o'clock on that first night of the revi revival. And when he got to the church, there were about 300 people there. So he preached, and there was nothing unusual about the, the service. So about a quarter to 11, he dismissed the meeting and began to move down the aisle, intending to go out the back door when the same young man who had read the 24th Psalm at the elders' prayer meeting stood in the aisle, looked up to heaven and prayed, God, you can't fail us. You promised to pour water on the thirsty and floods on the dry ground. God, you can't fail us. Then the young man fell on his knees and kept praying. By this time, it was 11 o'clock. And all of a sudden, the local black, blacksmith opened the door and called, Pastor, Pastor, we've been praying for God to pour water on the thirsty and floods on the dry grounds, and he's doing it. He's doing it because there were 600 people standing outside the church waiting to get in the church because they had to get where God was. They had to get where God was moving. They came at the urging of the Spirit. There were no advertisements except the, 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 the notice that Sunday before that there was going to be a special meeting God moved upon the whole community. Nearby, there was a, a, a dance going on with a hundred young people attending. These young people weren't thinking about God. They were thinking about having a good time. But suddenly, the Spirit of God fell upon this place and the music stopped. And those young people fled and they ran to the church. Men and women who were at home, already in their beds, got up, got dressed, and made their way to the church. By now it was midnight and the church was packed. The meeting went on until four o'clock in the morning 
when Duncan finally dismissed the church and tried to leave, he was summoned to the police station because 400 people had gathered there seeking the Lord. And as he was walking to the police station, he heard cries for God's mercy by four young men along the road. When he got to the police station, not only were there 400 people there seeking the Lord, somebody had come from, had taken a bus and brought a busload of people from a nearby village 12 miles away, which in that day was a ways to come. And somehow those people just knew they had to get to the town where God was, where God was moving. This is how the revival on Lewis Island in the Hebrides began. And it lasted for three years. Every day work was stopped for two hours because everyone was at prayer meeting. The whole of the island was swept by the power of God. This is the revival I'm looking to sweep across Poplar Bluff and Butler County and Missouri and over this nation and around the world. And I know this is what you're looking for too because that's why we're praying, is it not? In the past time, it is past time for an American awakening. And I believe the Bible puts the ball in the court of the Christian, no matter the denominational name. I base this, of course, on the statement, on the verses in Second Chronicles 7:14, and we all know it by heart. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will heal from heaven and I will heal their land. Each of us has our own responsibility to meet the conditions set out by God. Thank you for seeking the Lord. I know you do. May the Lord help each of us to examine ourselves daily to see where we are spiritually. I'm asking that Bill and I will finish this race well, and I know that that's your desire. May I encourage you to keep on praying for this nation. Don't give up now. Don't give up. We're right there. We're almost there. Let's expect God to send a national revival upon the American church. After all, if we do our part, he has promised, and he always keeps his promises. Please come tonight and pray for Christians across the nation to come back to their first love for Jesus. Pray that they'll seek clean hands and a pure heart. Pray for unity among God's people. Pray denominational names will be put aside and Christians will come together in unity with one desire, to love and honor God and to become involved in the harvest. Amen.